0: Hey guys, it's Emily here from Outpost of Heaven, and I'm not actually going to be in this episode, but I wanted to share a few thoughts, because the timing of this episode release feels particularly inspired. So you may have noticed um, a video going viral right now from The Ellen Show, where she shares a picture of her and George Bush at a football game, and she goes on to say how they're super different... um, and they have like totally different world views and political views, but they're still friends. And then simultaneously going around is the most recent address from Down H. Oaks, and it's all about civility. It was released uh, just last weekend, the first weekend of October, um, all about civility and about loving your neighbors. So th- that's what this episode is all about today. Um, It's about loving each other. It's about getting along when we have different perspectives and points of view and political beliefs. Um, Because as believers, we have the responsibility to love each other and to take care of each other and to protect each other. And, I mean, God's greatest commandment is to love Him, but the second greatest commandment is to love each other. So I'll catch you next week, but here's Andrew with his co-host for the day, Spencer Marks.
1: Hey everybody, welcome to Outposts of Heaven, the podcast. This is Andrew Jordan. Um, unfortunately or fortunately, depending on your perspective, my wife, Emily, is not here with us today. So it's just going to be me and my friend, Spencer Marks. Yeah, he's here with us <laughs> today to help me uh, do a kind of a fun personal favorite project, I guess you could say. Or pro- I, I convinced Emily after much pleading and begging and wailing and gnashing of teeth uh, to let me record a an episode on something kind of political, sort of political. I think it's it's very relevant to politics, but it applies to the home as well. It applies to kind of every every phase of life. Um. So let's get going. Spencer is a elected Republican official, so he is a <laughs> Don't hold it against me. Yeah. <laughs> you want to tell a little bit about yourself, Spencer?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um. So I am a. A law student at, at Brigham Young University. Um, I've been interested in politics for as long as I can remember. Actually, my my first email address was spencer.marks.fpotus, which is future president of the United States. Oh.
1: So, you know, don't. It's funny that it's Marx, F-P-O-T-S. <laughs>
2: <You> know, It's
1: <laughs> a K S, like, all right? It's <laughs> a K S. Everyone's like, I don't know what this communist guy. Uh, so, for those of you who don't know, Spencer is from, I guess none of you know, unless. Stephanie's listening. Hi, Stephanie. Uh, uh, Stephanie's his wife. Uh, Spencer is kind of a northern Idahoan analogous person to myself. So we're both from really small towns. That's right. Very conservative areas. Yep. Um, Both grew up very interested in politics. Uh, He's a little bit more of a dove than I am. I'm a little more hawkish. If you don't know what that is, a dove is... Hawks are de- someone who
2: doesn't want to nuke the entire that world. Is a, <laughs> that
1: is, that is the definition of a dove from a dove. Uh, not super important. You can go look it up. Google it. That'll be a fun convers- fun Google search for you. Difference between a dove and a hawk. Okay. Um, so before we start, like as always, we're going to do a little bit of Poe buddies Nerfict. Do you have yours prepared? Do you want me to go I, first? I'm I'm ready
2: when you are. Okay. Well, let's have you go first. All right. So um, I was told to to prepare a quirk or something that I have. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that that I don't know if you know about me, um, I am not an organized person. My my wife Stephanie is very organized and very meticulous, and thank goodness for it because our <laughs> our house looks great and everything has its place. But kind of how our how our relationship works is she has her system and I fit my things into that system. <laughs> Just like... um, the the exception to this is my filing cabinet. You have a filing cabinet. I have a... Well, you know, it's sort of a filing cabinet. So my filing cabinet consists of anywhere on my side of the bed, kind of how our room is arranged. You walk in the door on one side and there's the bed and she sleeps on the side facing the door and I sleep on the other side. And there's a certain stretch of ground, maybe five feet long, that you can't see from the door. Or from anywhere else in the room unless you're right on top of Mm -hmm. the bed. That's my filing cabinet. (laughs) So anything I want, I can shove back there. Right now it's pretty well carpeted in papers from my last internship. All right. Um, that I haven't sorted out what's important and what's not. But there it is. And that's, you know, as long as we have that, then the rest of the house can be perfectly organized. So it, it all works it's out. It's
1: kind of like the pit of Tartarus is what you're saying. Yeah, something like that. Tartarus is a like the deep hole in the underworld of Greek mythology. Yeah. Occasionally stuff comes out of there, yeah. but not very often. I'm already violating the request of my wife. <laughs> Emily told me not to speak about things that people don't care about or that people don't understand. And I'm already <laughs> quoting Greek mythology. This is what happens when Spencer comes. So my wife, right before we started recording, said, remember your audience, talk about things that people are interested in, and don't go on too many tangents, which never happens with a conversation. <laughs> with, Greek with mythology people. is fantastically interesting, all yes. right? And every conversation I have with Spencer is pretty much one tangent. Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's fair.
2: Yeah. So we're in for a ride today.
1: Yeah. Okay. So my fail, um, this one's kind of uh, I don't know how funny it is. Emily, everyone in my family laughs at me about it still. Um, but for those of you who don't know, I am. I wouldn't say like I'm hyper meticulous, but I, I'm. I really like grammar, and I really like speaking correctly. Um, and the I'm trying to remember the story. Oh, my story. Okay, so. Uh, it's kind of a big thing for me and I don't speak perfectly, but I, I try really hard to make sure my grammar is correct, especially after learning a second language, grammar, for some reason, becomes a lot more important in your, uh, in your native tongue. And I was with my wife's family one time and my nine-year-old brother-in-law looks at me and I was talking about something. I can't remember what I said. And he said, why did you why did you say that? And I said, what are you talking about? He's like, you said whenever when you were supposed to be saying when. I'm like, what are you talking about? And he is, I guess I had been using whenever when I was supposed to be using when. Uh, and apparently it's a Southern thing because all of my family and friends use it that way. We say, mm-hmm. so whenever is like you use it when it's, this is probably not funny or interesting to anybody, but my family <laughs> yeah. thinks it's funny. Uh what you use whenever when you are or whenever you are. Oh man. Oh gosh. You're uh, losing it, man. Whatever is, is referring to a, a period of time, whereas when is referring to a specific instance. And you can say, like, whenever I am fishing. But you don't say when I am fishing. You say whenever I am fishing. Hmm. Again, not that funny. But the funny part was that my nine year old brother in law. <laughs> Points it out to me, and <laughs> I just, getting called out. Yeah, everyone made fun of me for a long time about that. Okay, well, after I say it, it's probably not that funny, so we're just gonna move on. <laughs> All right. Uh, so we are gonna talk a little bit today about a topic that is very near and dear to both of our hearts. Um, as we were talking about what exactly we wanted to discuss today, I found a really interesting article put out by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints. Uh, it's called The Mormon Ethic of Civility. It was put out in 2009, and so it's still okay to say Mormon Ethic of <laughs> Civility at the time. Uh, now uh, we've been trying to distance ourselves from that because it's, we want to put the focus on, on Jesus Christ and say we're followers of Christ and not... Because people get confused and think we worship Mormon, but that's neither here nor there. The Mormon Ethic of Civility. So, Spencer... What were your impressions after reading this article? And we'll put this in the show notes so you can go and read it. It's not very long. It's maybe two or three pages. Yeah. So I think I think the
2: basic idea is, you know, talking about the importance of being civil in our civil discourse. You know, mm-hmm. there's there's a lot of I, I think we see in the the modern day and age a lot of roasting, a lot of flame throwing online. You know, it's it's a lot easier rather than engage in actual substantive debate it's a lot easier to just you know use ad hominem
1: attacks make fun of people um and and you might be thinking at home how does this apply to making my home an outpost of heaven (laughs) well um this idea of civility is um it's more than just it applies to more than just presidential debates or news broadcasts um there's a really great quote that I can't remember exactly but ba- basically it says that, that civility is um, oh here it is I found the quote that I was looking for it's from the article it says civility is not a matter of discourse it is primarily a mode of engagement and so it's how we engage the world around us which includes how we engage people around us or primarily refers to how we engage people around us and that includes our family that you know our spouses our children our uncles our crazy cousins that you know, watch a bunch of weird news sites, and like every time we have Thanksgiving dinner, they just blab on about stuff that we don't care about, which might be me and my family. Actually.
2: <laughs> um, let's be let's be fair here. Yeah,
1: so um, how we deal with everybody um, is yeah, so civility is how we deal with people. It's how we interact mm-hmm. with them. It's how we engage with their ideas, their perspectives. It's like when when we're at the grocery store and some. Some person's not paying attention, and they run their grocery cart like right in front of us, and they cut us off, or, or if they cut up, someone cuts us off on the road, which is a problem here in Utah frequently. Um, you know, like how we react to those situations is part of civility.
2: Yeah, I think it's closely tied to kindness. Yeah, you know, and kindness often is. I, I think it's context in certain. Sorry, I think it's kindness in certain contexts. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and I, I think as you know the way that the world is going right now, regardless of which political party you are, or you belong to, or whether you don't belong to a political party like yours truly, um, the tendency in our in our country right now and in the world, I think, is to uh, not be kind to people with with conflicting opinions or yeah mm-hmm. with opinions that differ from yours. Absolutely. Um, and I think as believers, we have a special responsibility to uh, be the antidote to that problem. You know, when it says that we are, when Christ told us that we're supposed to be the salt of the earth. Like he, we're Didn't mean to, to be salty. Yeah. <laughs> we're <laughs> supposed to be doing something. Um, and I think this is one, one form of, um, of whatchamacallit, of, not destruction, of... <laughs> one way the world is is destroying itself and and this is civility is one way that we can be the salt of the world and help keep this disease back absolutely this, this disease of uncivility disability
2: What's rage that? rage <laughs> there we the go. tides of rage we go. yeah and I, I think that that's you know the the thing about you know it, it's like the classic you know social experience you can do this whenever someone's angry at you, Mm -hmm. if, if you're ever in a shouting match, you'll notice that people who are angry at each other will keep shouting and shouting and getting louder and louder. But if you ever are in a conflict resolution class or anything like that, they'll tell you that if you really want to be heard, you talk quieter. Mm -hmm. And if you, if you quiet down, then a person will actually quiet down with you. And so I, I think that the, the power of being civil, as you're talking about it, is that I think that if we are an example of that, and if we quiet down, people have to quiet down because you feel like an idiot. Mm-hmm. If you're yelling at someone, and, and they're, they're just like kind of whispering at yeah. you, you know, I, I think that there, there's power in that.
1: Well, that's really hard in today's society, the way, the way everything's set up. Like, I think a, a huge percentage of people, especially younger people, get their um, political information from sources on social media. And sources on social media don't gain traction if they're quiet. Yeah. And so there's this, um, yeah, it's really hard. I I was thinking about this today, actually. I was watching some video by a political commentator who was saying things, the substance of what he was saying were things that I I completely agreed with, but his mode of delivery was so aggressive and it was so demeaning to the other side that Mm -hmm. there, I knew that I mean, I don't know what his thought, this commentator's thoughts were, but there's no way that someone with a conflicting opinion is going to be able to listen to that, and not shout back immediately.
2: Right, which I think is so key. You know, I, I had a, the opportunity to be an intern at the, the Utah State Legislature, and so it was really, you know, in that I got to sit in on a, a lot of meetings where these leaders, the people actually making the decisions, are, you know, debating them and discussing them, and I can think of. You know, I can think of one person who really had that inflammatory style. And the rest of them were very kind to each other and they would try to, you know, some, some of them were very straightforward. You know, being being civil doesn't mean that you can't say what you think. You right, can't right. be honest. It but, doesn't mean
1: diluting yourself at all.
2: Absolutely. So, but, you know, generally speaking, they were kind to each other and they they wouldn't attack each other's character. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't say, oh, you're an idiot. Because there, there's an assumption that Okay, we're all reasonable people here, but you can be reasonable and disagree, and that's how they were able to come through and you know actually solve problems and get through these major policy decisions they had to make.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. I I remember when I there was a very distinct point in my life, like it was a moment really when this. Uh, switch kind of started to, or the switch flipped. I guess like it wasn't. I didn't go from a moment of being completely n- not civil to being completely civil. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I remember there was this kid in my uh, my freshman English class uh, that I was taking, and he was just spouting off some stuff that just infuriated me. It doesn't matter what he was saying, but it was he had started talking, and it just made me so mad that I. I think the professor asked, like, is there anybody who wants to co- like contradict what this guy's saying? And I stood up and I just like n- railed on him for like ten minutes. And he, hero would, of righteousness. Yeah, he would start saying <laughs> stuff, and I, was, and I was, I was, I was like filled with self righteousness. I was like, <laughs> how dare you? Like, what? Yeah. Anyway, so I, I was just got, I got so mad, and I like railed into him, and I left feeling like I put that guy in his place. And like he knows like he's gonna go home and like rethink his life and change his political stances and he's probably gonna go register with the other guys and anyway, so that happened, and then I went home to I was living with my, my grandmother at the time and my aunt was there and I was telling my grandmother about the story, about what happened, and I was feeling all like, Oh yeah, look at me, I'm so cool. I like just trounced on this guy. And I said I made him feel like a complete idiot, and my my aunt who shares maybe two political opinions with me we have two political opinions in common like we're very opposite ends of the spectrum in most things. Uh, she just looks at me and goes, I can't remember exactly what she said, but she said something along the lines of like, do you really think that he cares all that much, or do you really think that like he that you do you think that he thinks he trounced you trounced on him, um, and like that moment like that that I don't know, it was a, it was definitely a watershed moment for me. Like that realizing mm-hmm. like first, like I've been thinking that the way I perceive the world is the way that everyone else perceives the world. Mm-hmm. And after that moment, I, or from that moment on, I tried to not enter into arguments to make people feel bad about themselves or feel bad mm-hmm. about their opinions. Um, and I've i started to really try and enter political discussions or, or debates or arguments or whatnot um, with the mindset of trying to understand people's opinions better, um, trying to understand my own opinions better, uh, understanding that my opinions might be wrong, um, and and sometimes like trying to convince people like trying to convince them that their logic is flawed. Like I think you can mm-hmm. still enter into a conversation with that goal of saying like. I think what you're saying is wrong, and here's why I think it's wrong, and I want to show you why I think it's wrong. Hmm. Um, But I I think part of a civil discourse means not having the how do I say this, not allowing the value of that person to be affected by what you're saying or by their opinions. Yeah,
2: absolutely. I I think that you make an important distinction there, where you know we can, we can. There are different reasons to argue. Right. Yeah. Some people, and I've I've been guilty of this at times. Get off on arguing. You know, it's you it's know, fun. This is, it's enjoyable. You know, I'm gonna go win, and I'm gonna you know, like you said, show the other person what idiot they are. Yeah. And I think that that kind of argument is is destructive. Yeah. You know, there there's no, and I say this as a law student, who really really enjoys a good rough and tumble, but if, if you're just arguing for the sake of winning. No one wins. Yeah. But there's also arguments where, you know, there's the kind of argument where you're just trying to explore an idea. You know, one, one of the things that I really enjoy doing is just basically picking a side arbitrarily and then with two smart people just kind of, you know, go at it and, and see, not not trying to win, but see the contours of an argument and trying to see what's, you know, what the merits are. Yeah. Or there's another kind, which is persuasion. And I think that that is... I think that that persuasive argument is the argument that's so lacking and so sorely needed in mm-hmm. society today, where you know a meme is never going to convince
1: anyone. No, even if they're very funny, I and mean, even, even if they're very likes. funny,
2: I appreciate you know I I, I appreciate communist memes. All right, but <laughs> I'm going to lose my next election for that. <laughs> but, you know, like I future I can... <laughs> president Marx likes communist <laughs> <Yeah>. memes. <laughs> but and I, I like these. You know, you, you can appreciate. That, but it's not going to be persuasive. But it's so important if we want. You know, I, I guess I'm thinking less of in a home and more of in a in a macro societal scale. But this is also important for home decisions. If you're going to to make important decisions, people are going to disagree. Mm-hmm. People had better disagree, or it means you're not getting everyone's opinion. And dealing with that disagreement in a in a way where you're respectful. And civil, and you're still friends afterwards, but still being open-minded and persuading each other, that's hugely valuable. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that if we can't do that, then a democratic society just straight up doesn't work.
1: Yeah. I think there's, there's a really interesting quote from this article that I want to share real quick. Uh, it says, A healthy democracy maintains equilibrium through diverse means, including a patchwork of competing interests and effective system of governmental checks. Um, and I think that that's very uh, insightful when we think about it in like the political grand scheme of things, but also in the, in the family. Like families aren't supposed to be um, like, entirely homogenous where you only have one set of ideas going. Mm. Um, like families are meant to be a council you know we we've heard that a lot how there's this this idea of, of working together as a council where everyone comes and they're all able to com- share their opinions and share their views completely freely um, and only then in that situation or in that setting when all involved are sharing their opinions completely freely can the ideal choice be made mm. uh, because you know like in in my marriage if I was making all the decisions or if Emily was making all the decisions or if, like, Hiram, my three-year-old, was making all the decisions, like, none of those situations would be ideal. Mm -hmm. And even if Emily and I were just making all the decisions and we didn't let Hiram kind of engage in anything, even though he's three, uh, the decision wouldn't be as good. So Emily Mm and I just decided what to do every day. It wouldn't be as good as if we allow Hiram some kind of input, you know, to kind of let us know... What he likes, what he doesn't like, and as we interact with each other um, and give and take. Because I, you know what, I have watched Wreck-It Ralph so many freaking times in the <laughs> That's past three weeks. a show. It is a good show. That's the new one or the old one? Uh, both of them. Oh, we, there you go. He, he likes the newer one, though. But we, I've seen that so many times <laughs> that... He'll just come to me and he'll ask to watch a movie. I'm like, okay, we watch a movie. And he'll say, wreck Ralph, and I'll say, no. Like, that's not happening. Like, <laughs> like, so you don't have to, like, give in every time. Right. But knowing what they do like makes... For children specifically, knowing what your child likes um, and taking that into consideration uh, as you make your choices doesn't necessarily mean that you always have to give in to what the child wants. But it can make both of your lives richer.
2: There's a constitutional system of checks and balances, right, there.
1: right, right. That's what's
2: going on there. Yeah,
1: and I guess I can kind of go back to you know, like, this is a, this is a bit of a stretch, but here, honey, this is my attempt to uh, tie this back into the home. <laughs> um, I, I really think that a constitutional system of checks and balances can be equated to your family culture in your home, like you, the culture of making decisions, the culture of. Uh, of punishment the culture of reward the culture of celebration all those kind of things are really equate can equate back to a system of checks and balances or constitutional government Mm. Uh, because that decides how we live our lives it decides how we interact with our our children with our family and it's hard because it's not not all of us have like a written family constitution Mm. emily and i actually do have a written you would we do we do have a written family constitution (laughs) Uh, but now I'm thinking about it with this aspect in mind. We'll probably have to go back and, and rewrite it.
2: Well, that's, I mean, that's more like a British constitution, right? Where, uh-huh. where it, it really is that, that culture and norms. And I think that, you know, you, gosh, we're really getting off on this. Yeah. But constitutional law, you know, our interpretation of the constitution has changed. Uh-huh. You know, there are written words there, and we follow those words. But also the norms and the culture we have built around that. No, at, at the, it's analogous between the family and the government. Yeah,
1: well, it's really interesting. Again, wow. This, so the <laughs> the way that English common law works, which is the the legal system that all of the uh, forty nine states of the United States uses, except for my dear Louisiana. <laughs> I was going to tease you about that. Thank you, France, <laughs> um, for making our law system confusing down there. But uh, and in in Louisiana, they still use. It common law to a degree it's kind of morphing but okay anyway uh the way common law works is as uh, judges make rulings and um, those rulings then begin to affect laws or how laws are interpreted and so like we, we base our society based how judges rule based off of how other judges rule um, and so uh, the application to the family i think is you know we don't have to know we we can have standards, and we can have like our general ideas that we get, mm-hmm. which I think are largely based off of the scriptures. Like how do we interact with our with our wives, or how do we interact with our children, how do we interact with our parents and our cousins, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think a lot of those basic uh, principles or basic constitutional principles or laws, if you will, are found mm-hmm. in the scriptures. Uh, but how we apply them specifically. That's something that we have to learn over time. And so uh, you can't just sit down and come up with your family culture on the spot. Like your mm-hmm. family culture is a a collection of decisions. And so the more no. bad decisions you make, the more it's going to affect your overall family culture. Just like the more bad rulings there are, the more the more that's going to shape the legal environment
2: along those lines this is kind of a funny story okay so my first cases that I ever argued this is long before law school but why I know that I belong in law school is because my little brothers and I set up a common law system with our wow. parents at the head and when mom would issue a ruling then that would be debated and that would be used as as precedent for future decisions <laughs> so you know if if you know mom ruled that i had to share my toy with my little brother then okay i had to share my toy with my little brother but if she later ruled that i didn't have to because i'd only been playing it with it for five minutes oh well then that entered into the common law of the household it shows
1: that not it's not just because i'm playing with my toy and my brother wants it i don't always have to give it to him there are exceptions and we
2: definitely would argue those precedents so you know you talk about the collection of decisions (laughs) if if you have really nerdy kids that might be more literal than you think.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is an interesting, interesting idea, this idea of, of uh, you know, a family culture being, in some ways, a, you know, set of, or a common law system. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a way we, we create law, or we create a culture over time. Yeah. Um, is there anything else? Are you, well, well kind of,
2: you know, I guess to to tie it back a little, is those those family cultures... Being analogous to the you know a, a national culture, I think that having bonds of of trust and and I guess an assumption of goodwill, you know where where you assume that the members of your family are going to be looking out for you and you look out for them. Mm-hmm. I think that that is built with where we started with talking about civility. And talking about being kind to each other and engaging each other in a way that is, um, I guess, intellectually honest and loving at the same time.
1: Mm-hmm. Here, here's another interesting quote kind of going along with this this idea. Um, let's see. Here we go. So many of the habits and conventions of modern culture, ubiquitous, 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 media, anonymous, and unsourced online participation. Uh, okay, fancy words for... Basically, you can have you can be anonymous on, online and you can have social media kind of what we're going back to this mm-hmm. this idea of like being isolated on, on the internet yep. uh, politi- politicization of the routine how oh, everything has become political like every single thing in, in our lives has, has become political which is hard because part of me really enjoys that it's all political. <laughs> But I know it's bad for society to be for everything to be political.
2: I read an article today about how air conditioning is sexist oppression. Oh my so, gosh. you know, politi- politicization of the routine. Of
1: everything, man. yeah. Of everything. And so like air conditioning then becomes a tool of the anti patriarchy and or I guess the tool becomes no, a tool that's of the patriarchy. Well, like though, then right? they use anyway, that's another here or there. <laughs> okay, going on. Uh, so all these things uh, the poli- politicization of the routine, fractured community and family life, undermine virtues and manners that make peaceful coexistence in a pluralist society possible. The fabric of civil society tears when stretched thin by its extremities. And so as we have more and more, as the extremes become more and more prominent, the fabric of society starts to stretch more and more. Right. Um, and I think that's, it's hard because we can't really stop the stretching. Like we can't really stop people from becoming more and more extreme. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'll go back to this point after I finish the quote I'm sorry this is taking a long time to get through this quote uh, civility then becomes the measure of our collective and individual character as citizens of democracy uh, and so we can't really we can't get rid of the extremes um, mm-hmm. at least not directly not forcefully not maybe not even intentionally um, but as the extremes become more prominent the uh, the fabric of civil society starts to stretch thin um yeah and i think that that
2: is it goes both ways right having the extreme stretches society thin but i also think that having where those extremes come up so for for those of you don't know i'm from north idaho and north idaho for a while had a pretty strong white supremacist Mm -hmm. group which you know pretty extreme there and the, the kinds of people that you often see in these super super extreme situations are the people who't who aren't included in civil society. Mm-hmm. I think that those bonds of community keep us from being oh, too extreme yeah and so I think that yes, while the, extremis, the extremism is pulling it apart, the fact that it's not strong enough is letting it fall apart right so I, I think that what then what then falls to us is to do what we can to build up civil society, mm-hmm. and to to build a more inclusive, more loving and more trusting and more trustworthy right. society.
1: And I think this, um, you know, as in every aspect of society, the the family is a microcosm of everything else, or I guess like mm-hmm. everything else is the macrocosm of of the family, if you can say that. If you get what I'm saying, so the family is the basic unit. Everything mm-hmm. else is. Is based on on the family, mm-hmm. um, but the s- society kind of reflects what's going on in the family, and so if there's this idea of uh, our national civil society being stretched thin and not having enough trust, and so people are going towards extremes, the same thing happens in, in families. Like we've we've all probably mm-hmm. seen it. We know uh, when a child, or a child, or a brother, or sister, or whatnot, um, start to develop. Opinions, maybe opinions about I don't know about anything really that differ from the norms of the of the family culture. Um, it's very easy for that for those children to go to become extreme in those views yeah. because they I think they often don't feel included in the civil society of the family, um, and and I, I think if if we all could do better at developing a more civil familial culture um, it would help those children not be pushed so far away I, I think of this especially with um, with members of families who members of our families who have stopped believing in Christ or have stopped believing in organized religion or whatever whatever it is but when they lose their faith mm-hmm. um, it's if we do not have an existing culture of, of, civ- of civility, it's, it would be very easy for them to then do what you said and, and kind of go farther to the extremes because there's nothing pulling them to the center. An important thing to remember um, about this issue is regardless of, and this applies to family members and just people in general, but especially family members, is regardless of whatever of their of their personal opinions, of their beliefs, of their political party, or if they're a communist Marxist like Spencer is here, (laughs) um, they're still, those people are still people, and those family members are still your family members. And if you are trying to create an outpost of heaven, God has placed those people in your home to be protected, to be raised, and to feel loved. And God doesn't put any strings attached to his love. God doesn't say, like, I will love you only if you do these things. Now, there are there are obviously eternal laws and principles that we believe um, have effect. Like If we violate those laws, there are consequences. But our love is in no way supposed to be attached to those laws. Our love for these people, again, especially if they are in our home, in our outpost of heaven, God has entrusted those people into our care to be uplifted to be to how to be protected and to be encouraged and brought closer to him
2: yeah I totally agree I, I think that you know there's 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 a black mark on the state of Utah and how how many of our LGBT youth are homeless mm-hmm. and I I think that there are a lot of families that have these have these deep religious beliefs about the nature of marriage and then they have a child who comes out as gay or lesbian and and that rips the family apart and I've I've had some opportunity to be involved with this community in in some ways and and it's really really sad seeing how kids who who love their families or, you know, how, how, these, how these families get torn apart by this kind of thing where people don't, you know, the, those bonds of love aren't strong enough to hold the family together.
1: Yeah. And I think going back to English common law, <laughs> um, our family culture uh, is developed over time by lots of little, little, little choices. Mm-hmm. Um, it's easy when you have little kids because the bad choices they make are relatively harmless. Um, and they're not going to, you know, they're not going to have any large giant results or consequences usually. Um, but it's important to start then of by creating, you know, having, setting precedence of love no matter what, because things happen, you know, things like this happen where, you know, you, if you have a, a, a gay child, uh, it can, if you are a believing family, uh, if you do not have this culture of or family culture of civility, it can, like you say, it can tear families apart. Uh, and again, God has entrusted our family, or entrusted every member of our family to us for a reason, uh, and we don't understand how everything is going to work out in the end. We just know that's going to work out. So. I it, it is my prayer and my hope that everybody who's listening to this will do everything they can to be civil, to be kind, to do what the Savior would do um, in our family relationships. because and to do it now, you can't just start doing it when things get complicated or things get messy because if you don't if you're not being civil in your family relationships from the beginning, you're not going to be able to handle it when it gets really hard. Absolutely. And we love you, all of you. <laughs> so much love. <laughs> so much love. Yeah, seriously. We everyone needs to feel loved. Um, everyone needs to feel protected, and that's that's really what Outpost of Heaven's about. You know, we teach proper principles and we teach correct doctrine and all those kind of things. Uh, but in the end, everyone needs to feel. Like, they can be loved and feel comfortable in an outpost of heaven. And it's th- a really complicated thing to be able to create that kind of environment and atmosphere in a home so that pe- everyone, regardless of their beliefs, of their political party, of their religion, of their sexual orientation or whatnot, can feel that love in your home. And I think that really is the, the goal of creating an outpost of heaven. Now, granted, you can't control the people's opinions or other people's feelings, and so pe- some people might choose to be offended. Uh, but I think it is our responsibility to create an environment where they can feel loved if they choose to accept that love. Yeah,
2: and I think it kind of comes down to this. You know, there's the old, the old Christian saying: "Hate the sin and love the sinner." Right. You know, and and that doesn't just apply to to sin, but that that applies to any opinion or life choice or really really anything you can disagree with someone and this is the basis of civility you can disagree with somebody without hating them you can believe that someone is very wrong and still not wish bad on them and i i think that you know i, I think that christ is a, a great example of that where he would I mean, he would he would call people out, right? Let's right. let's be honest right. here. He, he would to say it like it was. He came to divide asunder, right? Was. Yeah. <laughs> but at, at the same time, he he would approach it in in such a way where he was trying to get people to be to be better, right? And and he fought against the ideas of sin and invited all of these people who were sinners, people mm-hmm. who were doing. The, the most terrible things in their minds, you know, collecting taxes. Let me yeah, tell you, <laughs> tax collectors. <laughs> yeah, the the worst of the worst,
1: <laughs> the uh-huh. IRS. Jesus even <laughs> loved the IRS. Well, at least the IRS, IRS. workers. That, that's so, that's, right. that's right. Jesus loved like, the people who not, work at the IRS. Taxation and stuff. But yeah, what were they talking about? Oh, we were talking about there. the IRS. Oh yeah. <laughs> the IRS.
2: Yeah, but but that that idea where you have um you know where even if you disagree with someone if you disagree with how they're living their life with what they think our country should do that doesn't mean that you have to hate them as a person. Right? right? You can you can still you know, I I have very close friends who you know who voted for Bernie Sanders? Whoa! And what do you, I mean, Whoa. pretty crazy there. I'm a I'm a Republican who's who hangs out with the with the Bernie bro, yeah. but you know that's that's okay. And yeah, that's
1: good. And, well, and one of our best friends that started. Our political philosophy group that we started in our neighborhood, our dear friend, love you, Wes. Wes, the I'm not going to call him a communist, but he's like uh, he, Mark, he was the resident communist. He's a communist apologist. We'll say that. that's that's the way I like to think about him. He's not a full on commie, but he's like a, a commie apologist. What um, we had great conversations with him. I, I think mm-hmm. the best conversations we had were when he was there, uh, and he was able to engage in the in our political discussions, as opposed to when he was not there and. The political philosophies of the group were a little more homogenous.
2: Yeah, and because I, I think that's important, because a person who disagrees with you can call you out on your crap. Am I allowed to say that word on this show? Uh,
1: yes. Oh, oh, no. yes. All right. All right. Well, yep. there, there it is. I approve it. They, they can
2: call you out on your crap, and that's important, because you know, I, I like would like to think of myself as a fairly informed decently intelligent person not gonna go too far out there but you he's, know i'm, he's not, toot I'm toot not his idiot. own horn he's very smart he's very well informed i can well, I, toot his horn I, for I, him. all right i you know may, maybe not that far but i'd like to think of myself as that okay. but st-
1: sometimes i will be saying things that are really dumb but i just don't know it and if you're around people that agree with you there's like this yeah. this feels like my yeah. flavor of candy and <laughs> right? i like this. I'm, I'm anything and that's strawberry, like I'm going right. for it. And we're all being really dumb together.
2: But yeah. if you have someone who disagrees with you, they'll call you out on it and say, yeah. No, that's dumb, and this is why. And if you're you know, if you're intellectually honest, then if you're you being civil, yeah.
1: Yeah. If, yeah, th- if you're being civil. So civi- civil I'm sorry, I'm cutting you off, but I'm just gonna do it, okay? Okay. <laughs> I'm gonna use my podcasting <laughs> do host it. This is yours. This idea of civility goes two ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and Absolutely. so civility is about how we um, how we are like our outward self, so like how mm-hmm. we interact with other people. But civility is also about how we receive what people are saying.
0: And that's yeah, super, absolutely.
1: super important to remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, that civility is, it's, it is something that's not just I'm going to say nice things, but like I'm going to be kind and kind of like give them the benefit of the doubt that they're not a terrible, horrible human being. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are terrible, horrible human beings out there, mm-hmm. but most of them aren't that bad. I think yeah. Uh, at least most people that I interact with aren't <laughs> terrible people. Fewer than you might think, yeah. looking in
2: the gym or the the YouTube comment section. Yeah.
1: Sorry. Um, again, sorry, we are talking for way too long. I am so sorry, Emily. I promise <laughs> this would be short, and I don't think it's gonna be very short. But uh, let's talk about applications, specific mm-hmm. things, real quick. Um, one thing I want to say is. I think that, are two things, I guess we all have responsibility to be the voice of civility in our own camp, because the way of the world, right? The way it's unfortunate this is the way it is, but the way the world is set up right now is there are camps, uh, and you know what that is. You know what your camp is. Um, you may be in a camp of one. And if you think that you're a libertarian and you need to realize that you have people that are close to you and that you need to engage with, um, saying I'm libertarianish, so I can say that. Yeah, right? yeah I'm, I'm feeling personally attacked uh, here. Yeah, bit, I, but, I am. You know. <laughs> I'm like borderline, I'm like flirting with libertarianism. Anyway, uh, you need know, to go steady with it. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, did, did, did did what was I talking yeah. about? Oh. And you need to be the voice of civility in your camp. You need to be the one reaching out to the members of your camp and saying, hey, like we should not call liberals libtards or we should not call conservatives, you know, like, backwards, backwater hicks. You know, like, th- those are just not... We have to be the voices of civility because the the other side is not going to be able to convince your camp. Like, you have to be the one to convince your camp of the importance and the necessity of civility. Mm-hmm. The second thing is as we try and do... Increase civility within our own camp. Uh, we also need to be doing every single thing we can to be increasing the civility in our own home. Uh, and I, again, I think that starts with little bitty decisions of showing, you know, trying really hard to show our family members that we love them, regardless of what they say, regardless of what they do, or their beliefs, or anything like that. We mm. need to let them know for sure that we love them. There should not be any doubt in their mind. Mm. Yeah, I
2: think that you know talking about application things going forward. So I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna put a little plug in. One of my favorite commentators, political commentators, is David Brooks. That man. Mm-hmm. Not that I agree with 100% everything he says, but he's a great guy. Yeah. And he's a really smart guy. And he he gave a, a speech recently about what kind of what we're talking about today, but also talked about the idea of contempt. Mm -hmm. Right? Where he, you know, you can be angry at someone. And he was talking about it in the context of a home where you can be angry with your spouse. And the idea is that you're trying to convince them of something, trying to get them to change. And anger is not something you want to be all the time, but it's also not absolutely the worst thing Mm -hmm. because that means you can work towards something better. Mm -hmm. Contempt is different because contempt is where you discount them as a person You say you are beyond hope i can't even argue with you because you are just so dumb right (laughs) and and i'm sure there have been people that thought that about me but you know what most of the time that's not the case usually most people think they think what they think for a reason and whether that's in the home or in a broader political perspective if you have contempt for someone else we've lost the game right? Democracy is dead if we give up on trying to convince each other. Because if you can't convince someone, the only way to get what you want then is by force. And that's how societies fall apart. So I I think that, you know, that, that idea of removing contempt from your life and seeing other people as fellow children of God, seeing them as people who, you know, whether... They might come from a different background from you. They might not understand what you understand in some way, but understanding that they they are a person and that there's a soul there that you mm-hmm. can communicate. I, I think that that just having that realization and bearing that in mind, particularly in he, heated situations, right. that will help us to be a lot more civil right. and a lot more kind and just better people in general.
1: Well, there you have it. We will uh, put. We will link we'll give you the link for that speech that Spencer was talking about in the show notes. Absolutely. Uh, if our listeners were enamored by you and your wonderful voice and your opinions, <laughs> uh, they can reach out to you on Facebook, correct? hmm um, So we will, again, we'll, we will put his Facebook address in our, um, in our show notes. Uh, thank you guys again for bearing with us, the 10% of you that made it to the end. Thank you. you guys Congratulations. guys uh, And yeah, reach out to us on our email or on our Instagram, reach out on our Instagram and and let us know how you are being civil and things you are trying to do to increase civility in your family or in the political realm or whatever you want to talk about. Uh, Also email us if you have uh, questions for our Q and A session, or if you have topics you want us to cover or people you want to have, have us, you want us to have on as guests. uh, And we will try and work that out. All right. Thank you everybody. Keep the faith.